Well, we're in Romans chapter 8 today, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, as we start a new series and what has been called by many the greatest chapter of the Bible. Greatest chapter of the Bible. Why do people say this is the greatest chapter of the Bible? Well, people love the book of Romans. It's a lot of people's favorite book. It's, it's really Paul's most, Apostle Paul's most well-known epistle. And chapter 8 is just kind of the heart of Romans. It's right smack dab in the middle. And it is just filled with just incredible truth. It's, this chapter, Romans chapter 8, shouts at the top of its lungs what it means to be a Christian what it means to know Christ, what it means to belong to God. It, it is an incredible anthem of the security that believers have in Jesus. Uh, it, it's, it's got themes of the Spirit of God's work in our life we're going to see today, all the way to just the love of God and how we cannot be separated from the love of Christ. I mean, just the truths that we hold dear, that make you want to sing, that make you want to cry, that make you want to shout, all that kind of stuff is Romans chapter 8. So over the next several weeks, we're going to camp out in this book for about four or five weeks, and today we're going to be in the first 11 verses, and we're going to talk about how as believers in Christ, we have a new way to live life, right? There's really only two ways to live. We're going to see that today. There's only two ways to live life, and if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, um, you are no longer living life according to the default mode. Paul's going to refer to that as life in the flesh, and we'll talk about what that means, but you actually have something. You're living in what we call life in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life. He's moving in your life. He's working in your life, and you live life according to the Spirit, according to what Paul's going to tell us here, a whole new way of living life, and, and deep down, we all know, all of humanity knows that life as we naturally live it just doesn't work well. I mean, you can look at our culture, and we are constantly trying to fix our homes, fix our bodies, fix our minds, fix our relationships. I mean, we've got entire reality shows based around this stuff, right? We're always trying to fix something because deep down inside, we know something needs to be fixed, right? Because as we are, as we've talked a lot about in Romans, we're broken, we're sinful, and we live in the midst of a broken world, and so we're kind of looking for this way out. And so Romans 8, kind of in verses 1 through 11, begin to tell us about this new way to live that God has given us in Christ Jesus and how that transforms everything. He's going to declare to us that in Christ, God has given us this new way. It's life in and through the Spirit of God. And everyone in the room today, everyone you know, is either living what the Apostle Paul is going to call in the flesh, or we're living what he's going to call in the Spirit, right? So our lives are either, either dominated by and predominantly influenced by the flesh, or they're predominantly influenced by the work of God and the Spirit of God at work in and through our lives. And Christ followers, he's going to say, are those whose lives are now dominated by the Spirit of God. So look with me. If you don't believe me, look with me in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And verse 1 is one of the greatest verses in all the Bible if you're in Jesus this morning. So look with me. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 11. It's on the screen for you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Amen. This passage gives us an incredible picture of what we call life in the Spirit. That's the, we talk about a new way to live, that is defined by life in the Spirit. In fact, my Bible heading, and yours might have it too, in Romans chapter 8, the very beginning, it says life in the Spirit. Because it's just common across, across uh, all, pretty much all scholars you read, that's the theme of those first 11, and some would even say the first 13 verses, is life lived in and through the Spirit. I want to put up a quote for you by John Stott. He's a theologian that's passed away now, but here's just an incredible quote from him defining what life in the Spirit is, as explained here in these 11 verses. He says, the Christian life is essentially life in the Spirit. That is to say, a life which is animated, sustained, directed, and enriched by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, true Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, indeed, Stott says, impossible. I agree with him. But look at that definition. It's a life that is animated, right? In other words, that's, he's the one that gives us spiritual life. He, he animates us, makes us come alive spiritually. He sustains us. The reason we continue to walk with Christ, to pursue Christ, to become more like Christ, is he's sustaining us in the midst of temptation, in the midst of trial, in the midst of suffering. He directs us, right? He's the one leading our path, leading us into God's will. And he enriches our life, right? Our lives are enriched by the Spirit of God. He says that's what it means to have life in the Spirit. And that is what Paul is describing in these 11 verses. And if you're a believer in Christ this morning, the moment you trusted Jesus to save you, everything changed because of the Spirit of God. In fact, the Holy Spirit of God moved on your heart to bring you to faith in Jesus if you're in Christ today. Your salvation from beginning to end involves the work of the Spirit of God. And the Christian life is meant to be lived yielded to the Spirit of God. And we're, we, so we're living, if you're in Christ today, in this new way, the way of the Spirit. Now, if you've yet to trust Christ today, if you say, well, I'm not a Christian, I'm still kind of trying to figure things out, or I'm not sure if I'm Christian, I've, I've yet to turn away from my sin and believe the gospel, well, this is the new way of life as described here in these 11 verses that awaits you if you turn away from your sin and believe in Jesus Christ. This is for everybody, okay? And so I wanted to give you three things that are true, right, uh, because of this new, new way of the Spirit, this new way of life, three truths about this new life. The first truth here in the first four verses is this. I have a new reality in life. If you're in Christ, if you're in the Spirit, you, if you have this new way of life, it is first of all described as a new reality. I have a new reality in life. Look at verse 1. We'll read it again because it's just so good. There is therefore now 
No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's such a familiar verse. You you could read that in your devotional time or something, and you just kind of slide over it because you've read it so many times. But that's like a John 3.16 kind of verse. That's one to, to memorize, to know, to quote, to think on, to meditate on. Notice the phrase there at the, at the end of the verse, in Christ Jesus. In other words, everything else he just said is only true if those three words are true. You're in Jesus. You're in Christ Jesus. And that phrase, he's like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Well, it's a term Paul uses to describe the new reality of the Christian. If you're in Christ, that means you've trusted in him, right, as Lord and Savior. And when that happens, Jesus has taken your sin and Jesus has given you his righteousness. And your position before Almighty God is one of in Christ. You are hid in Christ. And so when God looks at you, Instead of seeing your sin, he sees his son's righteousness. You are in Christ. That means that is a word that describes safety. It describes security. It's the idea that you are covered, safe, secure. That is your position before God. Now, Paul says those people, believers, those in Christ, they have this new reality of no condemnation. He says there is therefore now no condemnation for those people. Those people who have believed in, who have trusted in, who have relationship with Jesus. Now, here's why that's a big deal. If you were here with us in the first part of Romans, Paul spends the better part of two chapters, three chapters, explaining to us all the condemnation that exists outside of Jesus. <laughs> that, 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 we're, that we're all sinners, that we're rebels, that we're idolaters, that we've chosen to worship ourselves and other things instead of God, and that we've rebelled against God, we've replaced God in our lives, we've rebelled against God in our lives, we've done things our way instead of doing things his way and because of that we're separated from God and the Bible says Jesus says and until we believe in Jesus that apart from him that we Jesus said this in John chapter 3 we, we, we we're condemned already so we're in a state of condemnation outside of Jesus all of us we're all in the same boat it's a sinking boat okay it's a it's, it's a boat with lots of holes in it and and we one day if we die in our sin the Bible says we will experience ultimate condemnation in having to suffer for our sin for all of eternity because we didn't just sin against anybody we sinned against a perfect holy just eternal God and only eternal justice and eternal suffering can 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 satisfy that, right? So we're, we're separated from him, suffering forever, separated from his love, his grace, and his mercy, experiencing his justice and his wrath. Now, but Paul says, if you're in Jesus, that is no longer true of you, and that starts now. He says, therefore, now there's no condemnation. In other words, your present is not your past. Right now, today, if you're in Jesus, your reality is not judgment. It's not condemnation from God. No, that is gone. Not a zilch. None. There's literally no condemnation that God looks at towards you or wants you to feel or experience. Condemnation is not something that is a part of the Christian life. He says that is not your experience anymore. It might be subjectively what you feel, but objectively it is not true of you if you're in Jesus this morning. You no longer stand judged. You no longer stand condemned. You are in Christ. And you say, how can that be? Because Jesus took your condemnation. Jesus took your condemnation. Look at what he says in verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We've been, we've been set free from that condemnation. 
When Paul talks about the law here, he's talking about it in terms of a principle or a power. So when he says the law of uh, sin and death and the law of the spirit, he's talking about a principle, a power that's at work. Paul is saying there is a new power in your life. A, a new binding influence in your life. That the Holy Spirit has set you free from the binding power of sin and death. Okay? And you're free from condemnation. You're, you're free from that judgment. You're not going to suffer for your sins. And that experience begins right now. That is a blood-bought reality for every believer. You, believer, you cannot be condemned because Jesus was. Do you understand that? That, that, that's a big stinking deal this morning, okay? That no matter what you do, you say, you don't know what I'm going to do when I leave here. I don't care what you do when you walk out of this room. If you are in Jesus, you'll never experience one iota from condemnation from God. It cannot happen. It will not happen. Now, look at verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Law was never intended to save us. Law was never intended to redeem us. And our sinful flesh has weakened it, right? And so... But God's done what the law can't do. See, that's, all, that's what the gospel is about. It's not about what we do. It's about what God has done. So how does he do it? Well, he sent his son, incarnation, right? Jesus, son of God, takes on human flesh. In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. So that the law could be fulfilled in us. The righteous requirement of it. See, that phrase there, the, the likeness of sinful flesh, is explaining to us that Jesus became fully God but without sin. The, the likeness of sinful flesh. And he came for sin, he says, to take, in other words, to take our sin away. And it says, he, God, condemned sin in the flesh. So there's that word again. So the reason you have no condemnation in, ver, in verse 1 is because in verse 3, it was condemned, you were condemned in Jesus. Your sin was condemned in Jesus. He condemned sin in the flesh. So you can't be condemned because Jesus was condemned in your place. If you're in Christ. And so when he says, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So like Bible scholars debate, like what does he mean by that? And I'll tell you what I think he means. I agree with Douglas Moo who points out that this phrase, this righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled in us, most likely refers to the fact that Christ lived the righteous life that we can't live, lived and died in our place so that as those who are in Christ Jesus, the law has been fulfilled in us because we are in Christ, because he fulfilled it for us, okay? So I think that's what he's driving at. Now some people point out that in Christ we're given a new heart that loves God, walks in his commands, right? He goes on to describe us here. It says, in, um, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So some say Paul is describing there the, the new life we have in Christ, so now we can live in a way of loving God and loving neighbor, thus fulfilling the law. And there's a very real sense in which that's true. We get a new heart. And so here, here's the big point. If you're in Jesus, God sees you as righteous, and if you're in Jesus, you are now able to pursue righteous living. Both those things are true. If I'm in Jesus, positionally, I am righteous before God no matter what I do, but because I'm in Jesus and because I'm set free, I'm able to pursue a righteous life. I won't do it perfectly. I'll fail. That was Romans 7. If you missed the series, you can check that one out online. But that, Romans 7 is all about the struggle as we try to pursue living a righteous life. Romans 8 is telling us, man, we are righteous in Christ, and we are capable of pursuing a godly life because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So our new reality, our new position uh, leads, our new reality in this position leads to a practically living out a new reality in life. In other words, because of my position before God, Practically, I can live life differently because the Spirit of God's at work in and through my life. So this gives me the promise of real freedom. As one who is in the Spirit, 
who is in Christ, I now walk in the Spirit. So, as he says in verse 1, I'm not condemned. Rather, as he says in verse 2, I'm set free. The law's requirement is fulfilled in me, he says. And now I walk according to the Spirit, not the flesh. And we're going to talk in a minute about the differences in those two things as he gets into that a little bit more in the next passage. Now, so the big idea here in these first four verses, if you're thinking like, okay, how do I wrap my head around this and apply this to my life, is embracing the reality that is true of you if you're in Jesus. It's one thing to kind of read something on a sheet of paper and go, okay, I believe that doctrinally. It's another thing to allow that to sink deep into your heart and to receive it with joy. Okay? And, and we have to remind ourselves to functionally live like this is true every day because we have a tendency to, to, to live differently than our reality and to kind of separate our reality from what we think or, or whatever. Um, you may or may not have seen this movie. There's a movie that I think it's out right, still out right now. I think it's maybe on rental now, but saw it a few months ago um, called Shazam, okay? It's a superhero movie, and I love superhero movies, and I love the DC stuff, so he's DC comic superhero, and so I'm not going to ruin the movie for you, but I'm going to tell you a little piece about this, about this movie that's interesting. It's about this kid who's a, who's a foster kid, and he's been separated from his parents for a long time, and he, he was abandoned by them, and and, and he's constantly hopping from home to home and from house to house. And he's constantly looking for his parents, particularly his mother. Never can find her, never can find her, never can find her. And finally, he's placed into this awesome home, right, with these, with these folks that love him and with, with brothers and sisters that love him. Man, it just looks like this awesome, great place to live. But, man, he's just not having it. That's not his family as far as he's concerned. He's still pursuing this these people that had abandoned him, and finally, I mean, it's this whole struggle, the whole thing, finally, at some point, right, he, he, he finds mom, and he comes to terms with the fact of, this person abandoned me, wants nothing to do with me, and then he begins to embrace and to live out this reality of, hey, I actually have this family that's actually an awesome family that's been provided for me, and, but he's not able to do that, to move on until he realizes, hey, reality is this. Reality is, this person doesn't want to be my mom. This person does want to be my mom. And when that begins to sink in, things begin to change. And as a believer in Jesus, it's one thing to know something is true on paper. It's another thing for it to sink into your heart and affect the way you live. That, hey, this is my reality. I'm not condemned. And, and no matter what somebody might tell me God's opinion of me is, God's opinion of me is based off his opinion of Jesus. And he's got a really high opinion of Jesus. Okay, And so I am not experiencing any condemnation. That's not from God. Listen, the Holy Spirit will work in your life to convict a believer, but it's only Satan who will condemn. The Holy Spirit will rebuke you if you sin. He will reprove you if you sin. He will warn you. He will stir you. He will encourage you. He will empower you. All of this is because God loves you, but the Holy Spirit will not condemn you. The Holy Spirit will not speak something into your life that the cross of Christ lifted from your life. The Spirit of God will never work in your life in a way that is contrary to what Christ has accomplished on the cross in your life. You get that? Like, that's a big deal. Because let me just tell you, about Wednesday, you're going to have trouble believing that at some point. And we begin to feel whatever. And I'm just telling you, don't... Don't believe the garbage lie <laughs> that but you're a believer in Christ, so therefore you're not going to experience eternity in hell, but you got to feel like garbage between now and then. That's Satan. That's not God. God says, you're, you are not condemned. 
So you need to preach the truth to your feelings. Because you're not always going to feel that way. Sometimes you're going to feel condemned. Because you're human. <laughs> and you're a sinner. And you're going to mess up. And, you're gonna sin- and you should feel convicted. Right? And the Spirit of God will move on your heart and say, that was wrong. That was sin. That's not, who I, that's not who I'm forming you to be. That's not God's best for your life. You need to repent of that. But a, a wounded conscience or Satan or whatever will speak something different into your life. Like that's who you really are. And that's all you'll ever be. But that's not from God. If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. Robert Mount said this, love this quote, he says, it follows condemnation as an objective reality has been removed. There is no legitimate place for condemnation as a subjective experience. To insist on feeling guilty is but another way of insisting on helping God with our salvation. In other words, beware of wallowing in guilt as a believer for sin God has forgiven. Our hearts are deceptive enough that we may simply be trying to make ourselves feeling, feel better by feeling bad. That's how weird we can be. <laughs> well, I just haven't, I, I need to always feel really guilty for that. Well, hey, there's things that we'll, we're going to mourn, okay? And so that we'll always, regret is different, right? There's some things that you're never going like, to feel good that you did that or whatever it may be. But that's different than this constant state of guilt and condemnation. That's not from God if you're in Jesus There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a blood-bought reality. Amen? Secondly, I have a new mindset for life. So I have this new reality. I'm not condemned, but I have a new mindset for life. Look at the verses 5 through 8. Everyone either lives according to the flesh or the spirit. And Paul's describing that here. For those who live according to the, the, the flesh, set their minds on the flesh. He says, he says, if you live according to the spirit, you set your minds on the things of the spirit. He says, if you set your mind on the flesh, it's death. If you set your mind on the spirit, it's life and peace. He says, if you set your mind on the flesh, your mind is hostile to God. So he's working through all this here, and he's describing it's kind of like two ways to live, right? Mind of Living according to the flesh, living according to the spirit. So if the flesh is what dominates your life, then your mind will be set on those things. If the spirit dominates your life, your mind will be set on those things. And in that word mind there is just all-encompassing of our heart and our inner being. But to live according to the flesh, he says, is to live in rebellion to God. Empowered by self. Living for the glory of self. And Paul's point here is that if you're still in your sins, still under condemnation, still in the flesh... Your mind is bent, set, and fixated on those fleshly things. In Galatians, he, he refers to them as the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Here it's the things of the flesh versus the things of the Spirit. He's talking about sinful desires. He's talking about if you're still fueled by the flesh, then, man, then all of who, man, you're just going to be, that's, you're going to just naturally constantly gravitate into rebellion of God, against God. But if you live according to the Spirit, your mind's on the things of the Spirit. In other words, our new mindset, the desire to produce the fruit of the Spirit, the desire to glorify God, the desire to make much of Jesus, the desire to not sin but rather pursue Jesus and to begin to flesh that out is evidence that we live according to the Spirit. If you live according to the Spirit, he says, your mind will be set on the things of the Spirit. So the new mindset is evidence of what I live according to. In other words, it's evidence of the dominating influence in my life, either flesh or spirit. The flesh, meaning that sinful, fallen human nature. If you're a Christian, we refer to our flesh as, I, I think it was John MacArthur who called it unredeemed humanness, right? It's just that part of you that just still 
We're in a fallen world, and we're not, we're not glorified yet. We're not, we, don't have, we don't have bodies that don't get sick, don't grow old. We don't have, we don't have spirits that don't sin. We, we still do these things. And so between here and there, we still struggle with the flesh. But if you're not a Christian, he says, you're, you're, you live according to the flesh because you don't have the spirit of God in your life. There's, there's no other option. You say, well, what about, what about people who are really moral, right, but they're not believers? Well, listen, you can live morally according to the flesh. The Bible says, apart from, <laughs> apart from Christ, even our best days are filthy rags before God. I mean, you can do right things for wrong reasons. We can do right things to justify ourselves before God. We can do good moral things and hoping to earn favor with God. That's evil. You say, that don't sound very evil. But for a God who gave his son to, for your sin, that's evil, right? And so it doesn't matter whether we're living moral lives or immoral lives in the sense of either way, if, we're, if, we're, if we don't have the spirit of God in our life, we're living and being guided by the flesh. Unredeemed, sinful human nature. And whatever dominates you will dominate your mind. It'll dominate your desires, your will, and your heart. We think, we orient our mind and our, the pursuit of our mind and heart in the direction of the dominating force in our life. And that is either the spirit of God or flesh. Notice the contrast between the flesh and the spirit in verses 5 through 8. The flesh leads to death, he says. He says it's hostile to God. Why is it hostile to God? Because it does not submit to God's law. He says it cannot please God. It's, it's powerless to, 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 to obey or to please God. Now the spirit, he says, leads to life and peace. It's peace with God. Indwell, he, he, the Spirit, he says, indwells the believer. The Spirit, he says, gives life to our mortal bodies, we're going to see here in a little bit. So prior to conversion, we're all set on pleasing ourselves, which means we're not set on pleasing God. And in fact, we are a hostile to God. It is a strong word there, that word hostile to God. In Greek, it means enmity. It means we're enemies with God. It's a very strong word. And Paul says, here is how I can prove that the mindset on the flesh is hostile because you won't obey him. And you would rather obey yourself. You'd rather, you'd rather live your way than his way. The fact that we're sinners shows that apart from Jesus that we're all God's enemies. Because God is not someone that you can have any relationship with other than one of submission. Any kind of relationship you've got with God that doesn't involve, yes, Lord, you're the boss. right? <laughs> I submit and bow to you. I, I come underneath your word. It's the authority in my life. I sub, submit and yield to your spirit. Any other relationship, it's a false relationship because you can't have a relationship with God where he's not in charge. That's a relationship where you're God and he's serving you. And that's idolatry, just another form of idolatry. Paul's point is those in Christ live by the spirit and this leads to setting our minds differently and the spirit empowers and enables this. But if you're in the flesh, he says, you, you can't please, you can't even please God. But if you're in Christ, God is pleased with you because of Jesus. And the Spirit empowers you to live in a way that pleases God. Everything changes. It's like we've been reprogrammed, right? <laughs> it's like we've been reprogrammed. We've, um, we've got this little thing at the house, this little technology thing called an Amazon Echo. 
Anybody else got one of those or something like it? And so it'll play music, and you can ask it what the weather is. It hooks up to your internet connection, and you can say, hey, what's the weather today? And Alexa is the little personality it has, like, kind of like on your iPhone, you might have Siri. And uh, did I say it right? Or Siri? I forget. But anyway, and, and so you say, Alexa, what's the weather today? And she'll say, well, whatever. You know, hey, Alexa, play this song. Hey, Alexa. And, you know, and it does all this, this, little, this little stuff. But she can only do what she's programmed to do, which really disappoints my children, um, because they like to always, they like to tell Alexa to do things, right? Hey, Alexa, do this. Hey, Alexa, do this. Hey, Alexa. And they've, they've discovered there's weird things they've put in these things for kids to unlock that are extremely annoying, right? It's like, would you like to open the giggle box? And I'm like, no. And, and it's like, you know, it sounds like a horror house of laughter, right? And she just starts doing all these weird stuff. But my kids are always trying to get Alexa to do these things, and she'll say, I don't know what that is. Understand that. Here's what I, they don't understand. They're kind of like, I thought Alexa was all powerful, right? And I'm like, listen, Alexa can only do what Alexa is programmed to do. Alexa wants to do what Alexa is programmed to do, and Alexa is limited by what she's programmed to do. So if you want her to, if she's to be able to do all these other things, then the computer programmers who made Alexa has to program Alexa to do those things. She can only do what she's programmed to do. And as human beings, we are born into this world tainted by sin, warped by sin, and we just pursue, and we have to be kind of reprogrammed with a new heart and a new life by the Spirit of God, and we believe the gospel so that now we want to set our mind on the things of the Spirit, because apart from Jesus and His saving work, apart from the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we don't want to do that. We might, look, we, we might seek to live in ways that are moral, but we're not seeking to live according to the ways of Christ. We're not seeking to glorify Christ. We're not resting in his finished work. And so we have to have this change that comes about that only the Spirit of God can produce. The believer has a whole new way to look at life. We have a whole new perspective, a whole new outlook, whole new desires, a whole new mindset that leads to a changed life. You can change, you can grow, and you can mature because you live according to the Spirit. He is setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. That life change is possible because of verses 5 through 8. Now, the third thing you need to understand, you not only have a new reality, you not only have a new mindset, but in Christ, in the Spirit, I have a new powerful presence in my life. Look at verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, does not belong to Christ. But if he's in you, but if Christ is in you. So he's talked about the Spirit being in you. He's talked about Christ being in you. Not because they're the same, but because there's one God. And listen, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life. And he says Christ has taken up residence in your life, right? But both the second and third person of the Trinity is being listed here. And which is really kind of describing for us. We're seeing kind of the Trinity at work here in Romans chapter 8. In our salvation and God moving in our life. God, he's saying, has taken up residence in your life. And although the body is dead because of sin, he says the Spirit, there the Holy Spirit, is life because of righteousness. The Holy Spirit has marked my life with his presence. And this gives me the promise of real power for living the Christian life. And he's marked me with his presence today, for right now. Believers are those who are not in the flesh, he says, because the Spirit of God is in us. In other words, there should be evidence is really what he's getting at here. Our lives are to be marked by the presence of God's Spirit from what you know about the Bible and what you read about God in the Bible. Does it make any sense that the God of the Bible who split the Red Sea, who created everything with nothing but the word out of his mouth, who sent his son to, to redeem people, who 
I mean, Jesus walks this earth, he, he turns water into wine, he heals the blind, he, he raises the dead. Does it make sense that Christ would be in you? Does it make sense that the Spirit of God that hovered over the waters and that was involved in the very creation of the world would take up residence in your life and there be no evidence? That makes no sense with what we read from the Bible. He's, he's saying, man, there should, there should be evidence, right? If the Spirit is, is in you. He says, if we don't have the spirit of Christ, we do not belong to him. We don't belong to Christ. In other words, there's no such thing as a believer who doesn't have Christ in their life and who doesn't have the Holy Spirit in their life. There's no such thing as a Christian who does not, does not have this. And he says, body is dead because of sin. The spirit is life because of righteousness. And some translations say little s is spirit, like your inner spirit. And some translations, like the one I'm reading from, says capital S, Holy Spirit, which is probably the better term there. But the, the idea being here is that because you are righteous in Christ, the righteousness of Christ has been placed in your life, the Spirit of God has taken up residence in your life, and he, is giving, he has brought life to you. He has brought spiritual life to you. He has animated, as we said earlier, your life. And through the presence of God in your life, you have the power to live today. For Jesus. Not just one day, today. And that should be evident. I mean, if your relationship with God is that you are, he uses the word dwell three times there in that passage. You are in dwell, he's dwelling in you. Shouldn't that be evident somehow? I mean, shouldn't I mean, shouldn't God's presence mark us in some way? Sure it should. You read the Old Testament. Uh, you read the Old Testament, and the one defining characteristics that we that we read there uh, of God's people is they say God was with us. He says, people know that we belong to you because, because you're with us. And they see the evidence of that. And so people should, see, we, we should be marked by the presence of God. We, um, this is kind of a silly story, um, but, um, but I think it makes a point. It, we, we, uh, we recently joined Sam's Club. And um, I'm a big Sam's Club fan. I didn't, I didn't necessarily know that about myself, but I've discovered I'm a Sam's Club guy. And I don't know, it's like the moment you join Sam's Club, you just like become your father. And so everything looks good. I'm, I'm like, man, they snacks, you know, you name it, everything's in bulk. I'm like, you know, three kids. I'm like, this is a great, great experience. And so, like, I, I could just go spend three hours walking around in Sam's Club uh, and just going around looking. So we go the other day and, we, you know, uh, get our little membership card. We haven't even gotten the card yet, right? We had gotten some deal on Groupon or something. And we had, we had not even redeemed the card. We walk in and no buggy or anything. And I'm like, I see something, right? And I walk over and I'm like, I don't have it. So I had to go back out. And get, we don't even have the card yet. And I'm already putting stuff in the buggy. And here's what I saw. So, you know, you got all this stuff, and they had these giant boxes of pillows. Now, my wife was a little bit concerned about buy, buying pillows at Sam's. I don't know, because they were just in these giant boxes. They just looked like a big, uh, I don't know, like the produce section. It was just piled in there, right? But these were Serta uh, memory foam cooling agent pillows. And I was like, yeah, I don't remember the last time I bought a pillow. My pillow was horrible. I need that pillow. Two for $10. Right, so I'm going to Sam's, right? Two for ten dollars. So we're like, let's buy two. So what they're like, so we buy them. They're all wrapped up in the plastic. We get them home, right, and do all that. And so that night, Christy goes to bed. I'm finishing up some work on my computer. I'm closing it up. And about that time, right before I pick my bag up, put it in the corner to, to go to bed, I get my my text message, right, from Christy. It says, "These pillows smell like Sam's." I go, huh? I go back there, and, I, and it's got this weird smell of like, I don't know, tires and snacks. I don't know. <laughs> you know, whatever Sam smells like, I mean, the memory foam had memorized it, okay? It knew the smell, and it was emanating the smell. And, and Christy was like, I can't sleep, but we got to figure out a way to get the smell out of them, right? She throws out, and I'm like, 
market, you know. I'm not, you know, I like Sam's, you know, I can eat a Sam's candle. And so, but I was all for it, right? But here's the thing. I know, I can pick that pill up, and now we've worked on it, we've kind of gotten the smell out, but, you know, but I was like, hey, uh, um, I know where this thing's been. I mean, you can't hide the presence of Sam's on that thing, right? We know this. It's just it's true of life, right? It's why, let me give you a more serious example. Uh, there's a reason that statistics show that, 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 that children without a father in their life, statistically, their, their lives trend a different direction sometimes, apart from the grace of God, than those with a, a good father in their life. Why is that? It's because presence and the right kind of presence matters. It matters. We, we, we know this, right? Presence matters. Let me tell you something. The presence of God in your life is going to mark your life. And if it doesn't, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. There is no such thing as a life with the Spirit of God present that never bears the fruit of the Spirit of God. See, we tend to look at the fruit of the Spirit and we go, yeah, man, that'd be great. That's a great coffee cup thing, a way that I should live. And it's kind of like, no, 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 no. You should be seeing this fruit in your life. Not perfectly. We're going to struggle. We're going to fail. But man, if there's no evidence of the, of the fruit, then we've got a dead tree going on, right? There's no life going on. And that's what Paul's saying. He's like, man, your life should be marked by the presence of the power of the Spirit of God. It's transformative. It's forming. And the good news is that if you believe in Christ, He is with you. And he will make himself known in and through your life. He's going to do this by this. He's going to make you more like Jesus, and he's going to help you tell others about him. You read the New Testament, that's the defining marks of the Spirit of God in your life. That's all the fruit of the Spirit is, is the character of Christ coming out. He's going to make you more like Jesus over time. He's going to empower you and help you tell other people about Jesus. And then the last thing is it's his presence. He guarantees our victory over death. It's, it's not just for now, it's for later. He says that the Spirit of him raised, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, resides in you, lives in you, then he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. That's a polite way of saying your dead body is going to be raised, okay? Your, your, your spirit's not just going to live with Jesus forever. Your body, they're gonna, we're all going to die. They're going to put our body in the ground somewhere, but the Bible's telling us that there's going to, and 1 Corinthians breaks this down in chapter 15, that God is going to raise that body. You're not just getting a new body. He's going to take that body and radically transform it and make it new and glorify it, okay? And, and, and give you a body that won't get sick, that won't grow old, blah, blah, all that kind of stuff. You're going to be made even more like Christ is the idea here. And you're going to live forever with him. Think about this. The powerful presence of God in your life speaks to your present and to your future. It means you can experience the fullness of life that God has for you now and living for God, and it means you can experience life forever with God after death. In other words, God's presence is transformative forever. And that should change the way we live. My life should be marked by joy and transformation and power because I've got the Holy Spirit bringing new reality to my life, life without condemnation. I have a new mindset for life. I've got the powerful presence of God in my life. So my question for you today is simple. First question is this. What is your reality today? Is it no condemnation? Or do you stand condemned outside of Christ? The difference, the defining mark is I'm either in Jesus or I'm not. If you don't know Christ today, if you've never repented of your sin and believed the gospel, then you don't know the real freedom that he can bring. But you can know freedom and you can know life change and you can know all these things through the presence of God in your life if you'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're a believer today, 
what we've heard this morning is God's truth spoken over your life. And the most important thing that you can do is lean into that this week. To, to literally tell your heart over and over and over again that Romans 8 through 1 through 11, that a heart, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Believe it and walk in it. It's time to stop condemning yourself for what God doesn't condemn you for. It's time to cooperate with the Spirit's work in your life to set your mind on the things that He wants to set it on. It's time to live believing that the Spirit of God dwells in you, that your future is certain, and that your present is, present is filled with the power of God. It's time to live the new way God intends for us to live. So today, we should leave here resting in this truth. We should leave here rejoicing in this truth. And we should leave here resolved to cooperate with the Spirit of God as he makes this truth evident in our lives to all. Let's pray.